Well, good morning again. Welcome to Bridgewater. I'm glad that you are here today. My name is David. I serve as one of the pastors here. And we are in week six of our Starting Point series. Um, If you've been with us, uh, we are looking to offer everyone really a fresh start, a a new starting point in your faith, or at least um, maybe challenge some of the unhealthy assumptions or ideas that we sometimes have about church, about faith, and about God. If you've missed any of the weeks in this series, I would really encourage you to, to check out our uh, podcast and get caught up because we think it's so helpful and so foundational for our walk with Jesus. And that's why we're walking through this series. And, and as we think about our starting point for faith, one of the things we often do in religion and in faith is we try to bargain with God, don't we? Like, you know what I'm talking about, like where you say to God, you know, if you will do this, then I promise that I will do this. Maybe it's, God, if you'll heal my mom of cancer, then I I promise I'll start going to church again. Or God, if you'll give me that job that I really want, I'll I'll start reading my Bible again, or whatever it might be. And even people who don't really fully believe in God will try this bargaining thing, right? Like, you know, just in case, just in case you're up there, God, uh, if, if, if you're there, will you please help me with this? And if you do, I promise I will never do that again. I promise I will start doing this again. Even if you don't believe in God, sometimes you try to bargain with him. And I think it's actually one of the reasons that some people don't believe in God is that they made some sort of bargain with him and he didn't come through how they thought he would. And so they wonder, does he exist? Does he care? Is he there for me? I think all of us have tried negotiating with God at some point, maybe at many points in our lives. But but here's the thing. Usually, we don't end up keeping our end of the bargain when it works out in our favor, do we? Like, maybe we try for a little while, but then the reality of life just sinks in, and we usually go back to life as normal. The pressure of that crisis goes away, and we just go back to our normal lives. Maybe for a while we try to stick with it, but it fades rather quickly. There are really some underlying assumptions that we make when we do bargain with God, and maybe we don't realize that they're there, but there's these assumptions that we make about God and who he is that are under the surface. And the first assumption is that God knows that you exist, and that he cares enough about you to, in fact, make this business deal with you. And when you think about it, that's kind of a large assumption to make, that um, God would care about what you, uh, one of eight billion people on the planet, have going on in your lives and would want to make this business deal with you. And before you wonder where your pastor got off the rails, I'm not saying he doesn't know or doesn't care. What I'm saying is that even if you don't believe in God, there's these assumptions that we sometimes make about him when we try to do this bargain deal. And the second assumption, the one that we're really going to focus on this morning, is that you have something that God needs. That's how a bargain works, right? There's two parties. They each have something that the other wants, and they try to get what they want from the other person without giving up too much of what they have. That's how bargaining works. And so when you try to bargain with God, you are assuming that you have something that God needs. And so you assume assume that God wants or that he needs your, your money, That's what sometimes people in church seem to be focused on. Or maybe he needs your church attendance. That seems like it might be important. Or or maybe he wants you to behave a certain way because church people always seem to be focused on that. Whatever it might be, you assume that you have something that God wants. And again, this is a rather large assumption that we, this a tiny dot on one of the smallest planets and one of the smallest solar systems that we're even aware of, would have something 
that God needs. And sometimes we don't really, really realize that we are trying to bargain with God and, um, until it feels like God doesn't keep his end of the bargain, even though he never actually agreed to it in the first place. We just kind of tried to make this deal in our own head. But when God doesn't come through how we thought he would, that's when we sometimes realize, oh man, I, I tried to do a bargain with God, didn't I? This is when the cancer returns or a loved one dies or you lose your job and you think to yourself, God, I have been so faithful. I've been doing everything that you asked. How come you didn't come through for me? Why didn't you heal this person? Why didn't you intervene in this situation? I've been doing everything that you've asked. What is that? That's a bargain, right? That's a business deal where we said, God, if you will do this for me, then I promise I will do this. This reveals that we think that God owes us something, that we made this deal with him and we kept our end of the bargain, but we feel like he didn't keep his. Bargaining is, is essentially the foundation of every other religion in the world, isn't it? Every faith system in the world. You do something for God or the gods, and you get something in return. Maybe you have, have to make some sort of sacrifice. Maybe you have to behave a certain way. Maybe you have to do certain things. And then in return, you get something, whatever it might be. But the Bible actually talks about Christianity very, very different than that. See, following Jesus is fundamentally different than every other religion in the world because the Bible says that God does not bargain. God does not try to make deals with us. God doesn't ask for you to give him something in order to get something from him. And here's what we need to understand about God. And this is really a huge foundational shift that we need to make in our thinking. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. God doesn't want something from you because he wants something for you. God doesn't want to take from you. In fact, he actually wants to give to you. And so you can't bargain or negotiate with God because instead of wanting to take from you, he actually wants to give to you. That's how the Bible talks about our God. But we're so accustomed in our world to thinking that everybody wants something from us, right? Like how many times do you get a call from an unknown number and you 100% do not answer that call because you, are, you know it's a telemarketer and they're trying to make some money off of you, right? Right? That's, that's what we're accustomed to in our world. Everybody wants something from us, but the Bible says that it is different with God. The Apostle Paul was uh, giving a speech in Acts chapter 17, and he says this about God that I think is so helpful for us. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. And so listen, God is not waiting around for you to give him something as if he's lacking something because he doesn't lack anything. He doesn't have any needs. In fact, he is the one who meets all needs. He is the source of every need that is met. He's the source of life. He's the source of everything. And so he is the one who meets needs. And so you can't make up for something that he's lacking because he lacks nothing. Listen, God is not out to convince you to give him something. But I think for so many of us, we've been told or at least feel like we have been told the exact opposite in church, right? 
I feel like we've been grown up being told that God is up in heaven demanding our money, our time, or some sort of service or sacrifice from him or, or to him. But that's not how the Bible talks about God. It tells, the Bible actually tells us that God wants to give to us, that he's a, a generous God. He wants to give grace to us. He doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. And whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or maybe you're just now checking out this church and Christianity thing, I think this is the fresh starting point that we all need in our faith because it's so foundational and so fundamental to how we relate to God. We don't relate to God like some business partner. You give him something, he gives you something. This is not a business transaction. We are first and foremost recipients of the grace of God. Sometimes when you've been following Jesus for a while, we can start to think that we need to give God something in order for him to continue to love us. And so we need to come back to this truth time and time again that God doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. And I want to turn to a passage of Scripture that's going to help us understand why God would even want to give anything to us in the first place. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter Two, and that's where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, um, we would love to give you one back at our Welcome Center so you have a copy of God's Word. Um, but we're going to be in Ephesians today uh, as looking at how Paul described this God of grace uh, in his letter to the church at Ephesus. And we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1, and it's really going to start with some, some bad news before it becomes good news. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were sub subject to God's anger just like everyone else. And so Paul starts with acknowledging really where we all started, the place that we were all in, kind of levels the playing field, that we were all sinners. We talked about this a couple times through this series, that we're not just mistakers, we're in fact sinners. We were deserving of God's wrath. We were just following whatever our sinful passions desired in the moment. But thankfully, that's not where God leaves us. Look at verse 4. But... God. And these, these first two words give us some hope because it really teaches us that Christianity is different than every other religion because every other religion starts with, but I, right? God, I know that I failed you, but I will do better next time. God, I know that I messed up, but I'm going to make up for it by doing X, Y, and Z. God, I know that I've hurt you, but I'm going to serve you and I'm going to make it right. But I, but I, but I, that's not what the Bible says. We often, we often want to start with us. We think we need to be the ones to initiate something in order to get back to God, but the Bible says it actually starts with him. Keep reading in verse four. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. So why would God want to give something to people like us, people who are not just mistakers, who are sinners, who are deserving of his wrath? Why would he want to give us anything other than the punishment that is due our sin? Well, this is why. He is rich in mercy. Not he has a little bit of mercy. He is rich in mercy, and he loved us 
so much. And that word for so much is talking about uh, a many uh, extensive, it's a great multitude. It's not like it's a little bit of love that might just cover it. This is an expansive, over-the-top, kind of wild, uh, ridiculous kind of love that God has for us. And notice the timing of this love in in verse 5. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And so while we were dead in our sin, that's when God loved us. Doesn't say that God loved us after we cleaned up our act. Doesn't say that God loved us when we turned from our sin. It doesn't say that God loved us when we started serving Him, going to church, reading our Bible, whatever it might be on your list. No, no, it says while we were dead. And and dead people can't really do good works. They can't really do good things for God. In that place, that is where God chose to love us. When we were far from Him, when we hated Him, when we hated His ways. He loved us so much. And again, this really flies in the face of every other religion because every other religion says that you have to first uh, perform and do all these things. And then maybe God will tolerate you. Maybe if you do it all right, you won't get punished for your sin, or maybe at least you won't get punished as heavily for your sin. But that's not how the Bible describes Christianity. It says that God loved us when we hated him And he pursued us even there. He moved toward us first. Let's keep reading in verse uh, 5. Well, verse 6, but I'll start in verse 5. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And so Paul is describing this God of grace who reaches down in grace, and he loves messed up people like you and like me. He uses the word grace and other words similar to that. He uses the word grace like three different times in this text, and really he's describing this God who is full of grace. And so our second uh, truth that we need to realize this morning, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down, is that with God, grace is the rule. It's not the exception. Grace is the normal operating principle. It's the normal standard. It's not the exception that we might get every now and then if we're kind of lucky. Grace is who God is at his core. He is a God of grace. And grace is, is, is unearned favor. It's when, you get, uh, when you're given something good that you did not earn. And mercy, a similar word that's also used in this text, is when you don't get a bad thing, a punishment, that you do, in fact, Deserve. And, God, and the Bible says that God is both full of mercy and grace. And so, for example, if you if, to talk about mercy and grace, if you were to cause an accident, mercy would be if the person whose vehicle that you uh, damaged didn't require you to pay them for the damage. They're not punishing you as your actions deserved. It's your fault. You deserve to pay for the damage, but they're saying, you know what? Don't worry about it. Grace would be taking a step further And if they said, you know what, not only do you not have to pay me, I'm actually going to pay for the damage to your car. 
would be a little bit ridiculous, right? <laughs> but that would be unearned favor, unearned kindness. You deserve to pay them, but they're saying, no, 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 I'm actually going to pay for your car to get fixed. And the Bible says that God is full of both mercy, not treating us as our sins deserve, and grace, treating us with unearned kindness and favor. Even though we'd earned his wrath, that's, that's what we've earned, that's what we're due. Instead, he extends mercy and kindness toward us. But I think for so many of us, that is not the picture of God, either that we've been taught or that we walk around with in our hearts and in our minds. I think for me, at least growing up in church, I, I was so used to thinking of God mainly in terms of judgment against sin that sometimes I miss that the Bible, everywhere you look, describes God as someone who's full of grace and mercy. I think sometimes we think that judgment is the rule and grace would be the exception, but that's not what the Bible says. It's the rule. Grace is the rule. Paul repeats himself throughout this section. He says, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And then a few verses later, he uh, says this same, kind of the same thing. God has saved you by his grace. And then just in case you're still confused and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. The entirety of our relationship with God is based on his grace toward us, not anything that we have done. And so with God, grace is the rule. It's not the exception. And so we wonder, when we wonder how God might be, respond in a situation where his heart moves towards what, his, what he might be thinking about, grace is the normal response. That is how God responds to us. Paul finishes this section with Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So Paul says that God has saved us by his grace, but he doesn't just leave us there. He's actually got good plans for our lives that he wants to lead us into. He, he meets you right where you are, but he actually loves you too much to just leave you there. He wants to lead you into some good things. I think religion can often be seen as a list of things that we have to do. It can feel kind of guilt-heavy, can feel rather annoying, like this just cosmic checklist with God. But, but here's what's different about following Jesus. And this is our third point this morning. 100% of the to-dos in the Christian faith are responses to what God has done for us. Everything that we are called to do as we walk with Jesus is simply a response to what Jesus has already done for us. You don't do good things in order to earn something from God. Remember, he doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And you could never earn the grace that he has given to you. That would actually make it not grace anymore, right? That would then just be getting something that you've earned. That's just payment. That's a business transaction. That's not grace. You could never earn the grace that he has given to you. Everything that we do is in response to what has been done for us. And I think some uh, could see this verse and think, you know what, see, I, I knew it. I knew God wanted something from me. It says I've got to do good things, that God has good things that I have to do. So I've got to do these good works. I knew God wanted something from me. But I, th I think that's actually misunderstanding the situation because God realizes that these good works is actually where we find joy 
where we find life, where we find hope and peace, when we walk in these good things that he has planned for us, that's actually a calling into a better life. Every commandment in the Bible that's, that's calling you to do something is calling you into something better. And so it's still God's desire to give to us. He doesn't lack anything. He does, there's nothing that we can provide for him, but he does delight in us finding joy in him. And so he calls us into service, which is actually calling us in to something better. And so back to our, our bargaining idea. You see, the reality is that God doesn't need anything from you, so you have no leverage for bargaining with him. But the good news is that he wants something for you so you don't need any leverage. You bargain with someone when you want him to get something, when you want him to do something for you, but you thank someone for what they have already done, right? And so following Jesus is not about bargaining. It's about thanking. It's about spending our lives thanking God for all that he has done for us, giving our everything to express our gratitude. And every good thing that we do ought to be motivated by a thankfulness that God would choose to love people like us, people like me, people like you. We ought to really, as followers of Jesus, be the most thankful, the most joyful people on the planet because we have been forgiven. So what should our response be to a message like this one? If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, I have, I've got three thoughts for you, some, three take-homes. Like we talked about last week, I'd encourage you to stop trying to earn the grace that God has already given to you. Jesus died so that you could have it. Stop trying to earn it, and that would make it cease to be grace, right? He wants something for you, not from you. Secondly, don't let the amazing truth of the gospel grow old or stale to you. Pray that we would be a people who are continually wowed and amazed by the gospel. That every day of our lives, we would realize that how wild it is that God would choose to love a sinner like me. Pray that stories like these carnation stories would never grow old, like, oh yeah, just another person deciding to follow Jesus, big deal. <laughs> Pray that it would continue to amaze and wow us, that God would choose to love sinners like us who've wronged him, sinners like us who've gone against him, sinners like us who have spit in his face, that he would choose to pursue us even in our sin. And finally, I encourage you to serve out of gratitude and not guilt. Everything that God has called us to do is in response to what he's already done for us. He has prepared good works for us, and they are a joy to walk into. That doesn't mean they're never hard, it's always easy, but it does mean that that's where life is, that's where joy is, that's where peace is. And if we serve out of guilt, just like, oh man, I've got to somehow earn something, or I feel like I just have to, if it's always that, then we are missing something. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. My question for you this morning would be if you actually fully believe that. Do you actually live like that's true every day? Or is there some part of you that's still trying to do this bargain with God, still trying to say, yeah, if, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. You'll provide in this way, then I'll make sure I serve in this way, whatever it might be. 
Do we actually believe that at his very core, God is a God of grace? He wants to give to you, not simply take from you. Do we believe that and do we live like that every day? Finally, if, if you're here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, my, uh, my encouragement to you would be that today would be the day that you consider making that decision, that you'd finally stop uh, putting up that wall and saying, no, 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 I don't want to make that decision or I'm not ready, that today you decide that you want to do that. You see, grace, we talked about this, is the rule with God. And, and maybe, maybe you still struggle to believe that. Maybe you've been walking around with shame or guilt that we talked about last week, just weighing you down, crushing you into the ground, and you think that you need to clean yourself up first before you come to God. There's a uh, writer named Jefferson Beth who has this quote about grace that I think is so helpful for us. He says, grace isn't here for some future me, but for the real me, the me who struggled, the me who was messy, Listen, grace is here for the real you, not the you that you work so hard to present to others, not the so cleaned up social media version of you, not the, uh, the good act churchy version of you that you work so hard to put on before others. That's not the, the you that Jesus came for. He actually came for the real you, the you who sinned, the you who is messy. That's who Jesus died to rescue That's who he loves. That's who Jesus has grace for. And when we put on these airs, we're actually moving ourselves farther away from that grace because what we're saying is maybe I don't need that grace. And that's the one way we can be excluded from grace is thinking that we don't need it, thinking that we're above it. God's grace is here for the real you. That's who Jesus came to serve. That's who Jesus died so that you could have life. And so the invitation of God is to find grace right where you are. If that's you today, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Love to help you find that grace in Jesus. Please find a friend that brought you, someone that invited you, myself. We'd love to talk with you about how you can find that grace today. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you are a God of grace. And sometimes we struggle to believe that. Sometimes I struggle to believe that. I want to, I guess in my mind, I want to make you in my own image. I want to make you respond to things how I would respond to things. And it's usually not with grace. Father, forgive me for how often I try to, to make you in my image. God, would you help us realize that you are a God of grace. Thank you so much for responding to sinners like us with grace. That's not what we deserved. It's not what we earned. And yet, you decided to extend grace toward us. Help us to truly believe and live like you want something for us and not just something from us. God, thank you so much for your church and how you are using it to make more and to make better disciples of Jesus Christ. God, thank you for these five carnation stories up here, stories of life change, how you extended grace. Father, we pray for many, many more because we know 
There's people in our life, there's people that we love who have not yet responded to the good news of Jesus. Father, thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus and that in him we can find hope and life. It's in his name we pray, amen.